to, to my beloved brother teacher, Dr. Will Coleman, I want you to know that, you know, sometimes I think when when folks are around with a certain frequency, although he hadn't been here for three years, he has been with us virtually. So we have had, we, we have missed out on the wisdom. And yet we've missed out on the up close and personal experience. Well, not anymore. And I don't want to miss this opportunity to tell you kind of who he is and how he comes packing what he is bringing us, that Dr. Will Coleman is a brilliant theologian and a compelling teacher of biblical spirituality, born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. He earned a bachelor's of arts degree in religion at Rhodes College in Memphis and received his master's of divinity degree with a focus in, theolo in theology, I'm sorry, from Columbia Theological Seminary in Georgia. He came to Berkeley, praise God, breathed our rarefied air, and received a doctorate of philosophy with distinction from the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California. In philosophical and systematic theology, philosophy of religion, and interpretation of theory. And this is what is always behind his messages for us. And so we get to unpack all of that. He's a witty teacher of teachers who instructs and tutors individuals and groups in theology and biblical spirituality in English, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. He believes the Bible, which originated in Northeast Africa, is much more comprehensive as a guide for the transformation of consciousness using the original sounds, symbols, and languages of the Hebrew, Greek, and Latin texts than in English translations. Our beloved Dr. Will facilitates Bible and theological interpretation in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, and Afrocentric spirituality with the Interdenominational Theological Seminary in Atlanta, Johnny Coleman Theological Seminary in Miami, and the CSL Holmes Institute and School of, Spiritual, of Consciousness Studies. After we hear from our beloved destiny, the very next voice that we'll hear is our, my beloved brother teacher, Dr. Will Coleman. It's good to be seen, too. Let me make that clear. Let me just take this in. This is my first time being in this building. Huh? Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's, that's something there. Reverend Andrea, Reverend Dr. Andrea Darrell. Yes. She wasn't that when I was here the last time. <laughs> Before I do anything else, I want to invite us to recognize the ancestors. The ancestors inside of us and the ancestors who are around us, and the ancestors who have become ancestors, all of that. I also want to recognize the power of our ori. So I'm going to invite you first, foremost, 
to embrace yourself because you are, we are the incarnation of our ancestors and our West African spirituality called the Egun, which means bones, the bones. And ancestors are here every day. You don't have to go anywhere to find them. So when you feel like you need to get in touch with ancestors, do this, what I'm doing right now. Because this is, this is where thousands and millions of years are incarnated right here. Praise the millions of the ancestors. Ancestors who have preserved the mystery of featherless flight. You, the ancestors, Create the words of reverence and power. The drums of the ancestors announce the arrival of the ancestors. On the strong mat, you spread your power. The ancestors are here. Ashe. There's another part. Place your hands on your head. And our African spirituality, and this is why sisters don't like you to mess with their head, <laughs> this is a sacred being. Before you left Orun, it is said that you went to choose your Ori, which would be your destiny for life. So the Ori came with you from Orun. You don't need to be saved because you came here that way. All you need to do is wake up to who you are. Ori. Ori. I call you. You who always quickly blesses your own. You who bless a person before any spirit. No spirit blesses a person without the permission of the Ori. May we receive that permission here and now. Ashe. Next, I'd like us to take a moment to just be silent and meditate on all of the saints who have gone from here to Orun during these past three years. Those we know, those that we don't know. It's wonderful in our African spirituality again. Dambala represents the power of the ancestors that you know and that you don't know. The ones you name and the ones you can't name. So I just want to take a moment to be present with that. And in your own spirit, recall those you know, as well as those that you don't know, who may transition from Aye, this world, to Orun, the one adjacent to it.
Iburu, Iboye, Iboshe. Take our burdens from the earth and offer them to heaven where our people are here now. Ashe, 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 oh. So what can I say except it's been too long, but I'm glad to be here today and to give Reverend Dr. Andrea Earl some more rest that she more than deserves. Amen. So heart and soul. I'm about to come back and pray in this space here because this is beautiful and I haven't been here at all. So I'm glad to be here this morning and I'm also glad to to be here for, I'm not going to call it Palm Sunday. I want to reframe that and call it Victory Sunday. Victory Sunday. Because that is what it is actually about. The palms are an aspect of something that Yeshua was doing that really pertains to victory. Let me give you the three points. You can go ahead and write these down and call them in your memory now because I'm going to walk around a little bit. But three points are number one. I want to talk today about, from uh, John 11 and 12, resurrection and life. That's the first point. Resurrection and life. Number two, victory before death. You need to hear that twist now. Victory when? Victory before death. How are you doing, young brother? Good to see you. Number three, <laughs> ancestral perseverance is the way of liberation. Say it again. Number one, resurrection and life. Two, victory before death. And three, ancestral perseverance is the way of liberation. Understanding that liberation is a synonym for salvation. Get that straight? Liberation is a synonym for salvation, to heal, to restore, to make whole. Now, with that in mind, write these scripture passages down. Uh, that's right. Uh, John chapter 11, verses 1, 2, and 3. Verses 43 and 44. And then John chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. And verses 12 through 18. I'm going to read them. But I want you to go ahead and have all this written down before I go to another place. Now, let me read them for you in the English translation. Chapter 11, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary, verse 2, was the one who anointed the Lord or the living or the sovereign one. Yeah, I had to work on these English words. The sovereign one would perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sister sent a messenger, both of them did, to Jesus, sovereign one. The one whom you love is ill. Down to verses 42 and 43. It says, yeah. And Yeshua said this. 
he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The dead man came out. His hand and feet were bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth like a mummy. I'm adding that. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Everybody else, let's say that. Unbind him and let him go. Oh, let me say it. Let's say it for ourselves. Unbind me and let me go. Oh, let's do it for each other. Unbind you and let you go. Yeah. Then we get to chapter 12, and again, verses 1, 2, and 3. Would you pay attention to that woman? Everybody say, that woman. I want you to pay attention to that woman. Verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Bimbe. Martha served. Listen to the sequence. And Lazarus was the one of those at the table with him. With Yeshua. That woman, Mary, took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then finally, verses, uh, yeah, this, this is what we would be talking about anyway, verses uh, 12 through 18. <laughs> but I'm setting this up a particular, a particular way. I want you to pay attention. Verse 12. The next day, okay, perfume. The next day, anointing. The next day, the next day, the great cloud or crowd that had come to the festival heard that Yeshua was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm leaves and went out to greet him, saying, save us. That's what the Aramaic means. Save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the living one, the sovereign one of Israel. Yeshua found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written from Isaiah. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your sovereign one is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him 
from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. The Pharisees then said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. So, on Palm Sunday, we typically bring palms into the church at the end of almost the conclusion of Lent. And we bless them. And we remember how Yeshua came in on a donkey, humble, and uh, that the people received him. And as they said, Hosanna. And that everything seemed to be right in order. Wrong. There's a there's there's a backstory. And I want you to pay attention to what I said about that woman. So write this down too. Especially in chapters eleven and twelve of John, the women, and this woman in particular, is not a disciple of Yeshua. A disciple are those men who are his students who are learning from him how to perform these various signs. But this woman, Mary, and the other women are matrons. They are like patrons in the Roman world. They are the sponsors and bankrollers of the movement. That's who they are. Let's say it again. Can I say then as now? Does that be okay? All right. They they are sponsoring Yeshua and the movement. So, when Mary, that woman, tells Yeshua that your dear friend is sick, she's not asking him to show up. She's telling him. That what we've been sponsoring and how we've been taking care of you, you need to get here to take care of the brother that you love because he is sick. And Yeshua, as the story goes, is not in a hurry. So he kind of stays around where he's at. For another three days or so, he said, oh, "It ain't no big deal here. Does this sound familiar? It's no big deal here. I'll just hang around here a little bit longer." And uh, after a while, he does say, "Well, we need to go and see about Lazarus because he's asleep." And his brother said, "Well, if he's asleep, he can get himself, <laughs> get himself up." <laughs> and then Jesus said, "Well, he, he really ain't sick. He did. Oh, he did. <laughs> okay. Then one Thomas said, well, if he did, we need to go and <laughs> die with him. Thomas mishears everything. Thomas thinks that Jesus is saying he's going to die, and so he's going to go and fight. And they get there to the place, and Lazarus has already been dead for four days. And you know what that means. 
And uh, Martha comes out to greet Jesus and says that he's dead. And Jesus says, well, even though he's dead, I can bring him back to life because I am the resurrection and the life. And Mary is not having no part of it. She doesn't come out yet. So when she finally comes out, she, she seems to be kind of submitting to Yeshua's presence. But then she puts the word on just in there, if you had been here. Does that, if you had been here, he wouldn't be <laughs> He wouldn't be dead. And then the text goes on to say that Jesus wept. And I know we are accustomed to saying that Jesus was weeping because, you know, he feeling bad, feeling sad. That's true, but he also was weeping because the woman had spoken the bad word on him, Mary. And finally he says, he prays first. And then he says, bring him out. Or he says, Lazarus, come forth. He speaks the words of life for Lazarus to come forth. And Lazarus comes forth, but I want you to see how this happens. He comes forth, but he's still what? He's still bound by the constrictions that have been placed upon him. He's still bound like a mummy from head to toe. And so it is, he's out, but he's still bound. And then Yeshua says, loose him and let him go. There are two parts to it. He brings him back to life. But he's back to life. He still can't move. So when he brings him back to life, the next step is to get him to move by unbinding him. And when he unbinds him, then Lazarus is fully alive. And some people begin to believe in the signs that Yeshua has performed because of this event, and others are not. I'm going to get to that in a moment because there's a tension here between what Yeshua is doing and the power structure that is in existence. This type of health care that Yeshua is providing is going against the economy of the Judean and Roman Empire. So everybody ain't happy about that. He's messing with the money that Rome demands from Judea through his system of healing. He's working without a license. He's doing hoodoo without authorization. He is not properly credentialed to do what he's doing. And on top of that, he's telling people and or allowing people to say that he is the son of God rather than Caesar, who's the son of Jupiter. Do you get that nuance? This is a dangerous situation because the Pharisees and others have made a negotiatory situation such that as long as they paid tribute to Rome through the temple and other ways, everything would be all right. But if you circumvent that, things are not going to be all right. So, in chapter 12, that woman, the same one, the matron, does something that's extraordinary, and I don't know how we missed this. The text says that she takes an expensive bottle of perfume, breaks it, anoints his head, or his feet with, her, with the oil and with her hair. And we never ask the question, how could this woman own so much perfume? It's a year's worth of perfume and money. It's because she's a matron. It's because she's a woman of means. 
It's because she's a woman of authority that she's able to do this. And even though Judas is jealous, he's insignificant in this particular scene. Because Yeshua says that she's anointed me and prepared me for, we think, for my death. Now, I want you to get this, beloved. He's not being prepared for his death, actually. This woman, some way and somehow, knows something that nobody else knows when she anoints him because what she actually anoints him for is his victory. That female intelligence anoints him for his victory. That tells me she's a politician. Are you all listening to what I'm saying? Not only is she a matron, that woman, not only is she the one who commands Yeshua to come and heal the beloved brother, but she's the one who anoints him from which we get Holy Thursday. That's what we do on Holy Thursday. We, we, we consecrate the oils following her, but her name is not mentioned when we do that. But she anoints him for his victory because the text goes on to say, not later, but the next day, the next day, after she had anointed him, Yeshua comes into Jerusalem. Now, we got to pause there. Well, here again, we got the false narrative that Yeshua comes in on a little donkey and he, he's kind of humble and, you know, you got, you got the little kids running behind him and things like that in these false movies. But that's not what's going on. When Yeshua comes in on that donkey, that's a declaration of war. That's a revolutionary act. Yeshua is saying he's had enough of the presence of Rome in Jerusalem. And that's why he's on the donkey, because he's emulating something his ancestor Solomon had done when he was made king. You got to go back and read the text. When Solomon was made king, he came in on a donkey. But in the Roman context also, this is what caused uh, Caesar to be assassinated. If you are a warrior, you got to get off the donkey or off the horse and walk into the gates of the city to show that you come in peace and not war. So when Caesar came in on that horse, that was the beginning of his assassination. Well, guess what? When Yeshua decided to come in on that donkey, that was a revolutionary act. That was a declaration of war. And we read later on in the, in the chapter that they get that because Caiaphas says at one point while they're discussing among themselves, wait a minute, man, hold, 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 wait. Is the whole nation going to go for one man? No, we can't let that happen. It's better for him because the Romans are coming. It's better for him to die than for the whole nation to perish. What did I say our main three thoughts were on this particular moment? Number one, resurrection and life. Mary calls Yeshua forth to participate in the life-giving power of bringing their beloved one it's like that imagining justice theme you all have. Did y'all hear that? Mary called Yeshua 
to come forth and to break the law and the protocol of how things should have been done to bring the beloved one back to life from the dead, to participate in activities that were against protocol, but that were a part of the divine call. And when he brings them forth, I said before, he's still bound. So after bringing them forth, he still has to say something, do something, be something to unloose him from his external and internal bondage. You got you to say something, do something, and be something in order to be unleashed from both internal and external bondage. Number two, when that woman anoints Yeshua, she anoints him not just for his demise, but for his victory. She anoints him to declare and be victorious in whatever situation is going to occur next. So the anointing is preparation for the victory. And remember that the anointing represents the Holy Spirit of divine consciousness and divine transformation. So she's also anointing him with the holy divine consciousness to do what is coming next. And then finally, as I said before, Yeshua, Mary, and Lazarus are doing what they do because they're trying to remember and preserve ancestral memory and ancestral perseverance in the midst of the oppression that they're experiencing. Mental, spiritual, social, emotional, and economic. Everything that Yeshua is doing, in a sense, is going against the grain, and it is metaphysical. It is not outside of the physical, not outside of the political, not outside of the economic, but it is inside of it all in order to bring about full multidimensional liberation. And this is how he's setting the stage. This is how Mary is also guiding him to set the stage for what we call naively sometimes Palm Sunday. But for what is really Victory Sunday. Now, what does that mean, Doc? That also means that we have to be in a position where we declare victory and be victory and act victoriously even before the challenge comes. 
so that being victorious is not a moment or an event, but being victorious is a rhythm of life. It's not simply a matter of making affirmations, although they are good. Lazarus come forth. But at the same time that Yeshua was saying to Lazarus, we always speak to ourselves when we speak to someone else. At the same time that Yeshua was saying, Lazarus come forth, life is saying to him, Yeshua come forth. At the same time that he is saying, Lazarus be unbound. The universe is saying to him, Yeshua, be unbound. So when we speak these words and we hear these words pertaining to others, because we are brothers and sisters and we are all bound together, we say and speak these words to ourselves. That. Because as we do, as we speak, and as we act towards others, we are doing, we are speaking, and we are acting towards ourselves. And this is why Yeshua says in another place, what is the greatest commandment? You shall love the living one, your strong one, with all of your heart, with all of your might, with all of your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, don't miss the point. Love yourself first and foremost. And the same way that you love yourself first and foremost in the power of the living one, love your neighbor. And who is my neighbor? It's the Samaritan that you despise. That's your neighbor. Mm. <laughs> so, we got to think about this now. Is it Lazarus only who was resurrected? Or is it the case that Mary called Yeshua forward to resurrect himself beyond the apparent limitations of the moment? Because don't miss this now. Yeshua was fearing for his life. That's why he was hiding out. That's why he took those extra three days. I didn't say it before that, but that's why he took those extra three days. Because he's like, wait, wait a minute now. <laughs> he had one of the mumbles. I know I've been saying the son of God, but hold on. <laughs> I didn't mean for it to go down like this. <laughs> Let's just hang around here and eat a little bit longer. And matter of fact, in one passage, I'm going to pause, but in one passage, his... His brothers, he did have brothers and sisters. His brothers in one passage made fun of him. They said, are you bad? Go on back to Jerusalem. <laughs> you know how your siblings do? Yeah, they said, yeah, no. Why are you hanging around here, man? Go, on, go back to Jerusalem. You, you be taken care of, right? <laughs> so, no, Lazarus and Mary. This shows how we connected. Lazarus and Mary. At the same time that Yeshua was called forth to bring Lazarus back from the stench of life, from the stench of death, from the decaying matter of his own body. Yeshua was calling himself forth from his fear of death, stench, and decaying matter. 
And at the same time that Mary, this matron, was anointing him, she was not preparing him for death, but she was preparing him for life and more life beyond what seemed to be death. And then when Yeshua went into the city, he didn't go into the city on the donkey just because he was being humble. He was going into the city because he had been made strong. And he had been made strong by the actions specifically of the woman, that woman. Remember that. It is always that. The woman who called him forth, who knew what he could do, who knew what he was capable of doing, and saw to it that he did it. And the woman who anointed him like a priestess that she must have been. Oh, did I say that? I'm a heretic, but I'm going to say it again. Like the priestess that she must have been. To be victorious. Let me say it again. You get that phrase now. To be victorious before he died. We're going to pause right here. One. Life and resurrection. Two. Victory before death. Three, the ancestral perseverance is the way of liberation. And we'll see how that's true next week. Everybody pray with me. Blessed are you, living one, strong one, sovereign of time and space. We give you thanks for the blessing of being back here at Heart and Soul Center of Life. We give you thanks for everyone who's present in this room and who's present with us virtually. We give you thanks for life. We give you thanks for breath. We give you thanks for our ancestors. We give you thanks for our well-being. And we ask you to be with everyone who is present virtually as well as physically in this space as we now celebrate on this Sunday, not only Palm Sunday, but Victory, Victory, Victory Sunday. And may this power of victory, this anointing, go with us from this space into every place that we will step our feet on this day and during this holy week as we walk, as we think, as we remember what Yeshua and his disciples and his matrons not just endured but discovered may our discoveries also be great and may we love one another as we love ourselves with all of our heart all of our might all of our strength and we pray this in the, in the name and power of yeshua the living one heals, makes whole, delivers, gives strength. Amen. Ashe, Ashe, Asheo, Aye Bobo, Aye Bobo. Thank you so much, heart and soul.